Hey, I want to invite you to go ahead and take your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3, take your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along or maybe fire up your Journey Church International app if you're going to follow us through your technology. Welcome to those of you joining us online. We're in week two of a series that we're calling Finding Your Way Back to God. And here's what this series is. We're taking three weeks to study Colossians chapter 3 to learn how to walk towards God and walk with God so we don't walk away from God. That's the whole thought of the series. Let me say it again. Three weeks in Colossians chapter 3 so we can learn how to walk towards God, walk with God, so we don't walk away from God. A quick recap of last week. We said if we're going to get to the point where we're walking towards God and with God, that we've got to be seeing deeper. So a recap of, of week one is seeing deeper. We've got to begin to have some depth in our faith and the way we see our faith. We said last week, Christianity is more than Sunday and Christianity is more than someday. You say, what does that mean? It means that Christianity is more than coming to church once a week. Christianity is more than going to heaven when you die. It's more than Sunday. It's more than someday. We said Christianity is a person, according to Colossians chapter 3, and Christianity is a place. Christianity is a person. His name is Jesus. It's a relationship. And Christianity is a place. It's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a place that Christians go when they die. The kingdom of God is a place that comes to Christians when they choose to follow Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you right now are living in the kingdom of God. Jesus told his disciples, the kingdom of God is among you. When Jesus is with you, the kingdom of God is among you. And what we learned in Colossians 3 is this change in perspective, this change in how we see things can lead to a change in our spiritual depth. It can allow us to walk more closely with Jesus. It can allow us to have a little more foundation to our faith. If we can begin to see Jesus everywhere that we go. If you were here last week, you might remember Flat Jesus. We talked about Flat Simon who got to go on family vacations with you when your kids were young. And we talked about Flat Jesus reminding you Jesus is everywhere that you are. He sees what you see. He hears what you hear. He watched what what you watch. He goes where you go. He reads what you read. Jesus, if you are a Christian, Christianity is a person. It's Jesus. He's always with you. And awareness of that will begin to change the way we live our life. And if we begin to seek to live in the kingdom of God, we phrased it this way. If we seek to live on earth the way we live in heaven, life would be different. So week one was all about seeing deeper, trying to see that in our faith. Week two is about living different. Week one, seeing deeper. Week two, living different. We want to try to figure out how to live differently. And here's the question that I posed last week. If every Christian in our city lived this week on earth, as they'll one day live in heaven, would our city look different? And everyone said, yes. Like if everybody in our city who says that they're a Christian, this week makes every decision that they would make if they were really living in heaven, if all their actions were heavenly actions, if all their reactions were heavenly reactions, if this week every Christian's life looked like this week on earth, what it would look like in heaven, our city would look different. So we said, how do we begin to do this? Paul told us to do this. Live with a heavenly mindset. Jesus told us to pray this. Remember the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10? Jesus said, pray these words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God said, don't pray that you can leave earth and go to heaven. Pray that heaven will come to you so that on earth you can have a little bit of heaven. So last week's key question was, hey, if every Christian in our city lived this week on earth as they live in heaven, would our city look different? Everyone said, yes. The question is, how do we do that? That's today's big question. How do we live on earth like 
will live in heaven? The answer is found in Colossians chapter 3, as the apostle Paul writes to a church in Colossae that he's never been to, but he's trying to teach them how to follow Jesus. He's trying to teach them how to walk towards Jesus and with Jesus so they don't drift away from Jesus. And he teaches us today how to live on earth as we would live in heaven. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 15 Verses 1 through 4, but the same ones we read last week. They should sound familiar. We'll dig into the new ones at verse 5. Colossians 3 begins this way. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. New verses. Put to death, therefore. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices... And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We said last week, the church in Colossae had such a basic foundation spiritually that they ended up having a mistaken foundation spiritually. You say, what do you mean? Their understanding of Christian was so, Christianity was so basic. Oh, Christianity is you go to church on Sunday. And Paul said, no, 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 no. It's more than that. Oh, we get it. Christianity means you go to heaven when you die. Paul said, no, 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 no. It's way more than that. Their basic understanding of Christianity became a bad understanding of Christianity, and they began to drift spiritually. So Paul said, I I need you to come back spiritually, and I'm going to teach you how to do that by giving you the details of what you need to know in how to walk with God. Today's question is this. How do we walk with God in a way that allows us to live on earth like we'll live in heaven. Colossians 3 just told us two answers. Answer number one, learn what to take off. Answer number two, learn what to put on. How do we learn to live on earth like we'll live in heaven? Colossians 3 said, oh, that's an easy question. Two answers, learn what to take off, learn what to put on. Now, when I was in elementary school, you could describe me as a mathlete. Um, you say, what's a, what's a mathlete? It's someone who's very competitive, at math. I was never like in a math club. I never had an official event. I never won a trophy. But when I was in second grade, we had a math deal that we did called the Mad Minute. Did anyone else do the Mad Minute? It was a series of 25 math problems that you had one minute to do. You had to start with your paper turned over. And when the teacher said go, you had to flip it over and do as many problems as you could, as fast as you could, see if you could finish the whole page, see if you could get them all right. Um, And I used to love doing the Mad Minute so much so that I would write my answers 
in as light a pencil as I could so when I got my assignment handed back, I could erase it so they'd be blank. And then I gave it to my mom and dad so they could make me copies, hundreds of copies off the copy machine in the office. And I would take them home and I would practice. I'd make my mom and dad get a stopwatch. I'd get my pencil. And for hours, I would practice the mad minute so that I could do it the fastest so that I could get it all right. And I usually did. I was a competitive mathematician when I was in seven. I also call myself a mathlete because if you were to ask me to describe to you my high school math experience, if you said, hey, tell us what high school math was like, I would think for a minute and say, I played a lot of basketball in high school math. And here's why. In second grade, I got really good at math and I got really fast at math, which meant in high school, I was really good at math and I was really fast at math. And when I get done with things, I get bored. And when I get bored, I think everyone else should be done with things. And I start distracting people and my teacher hated me. I mean, I was good at math. I always got it done fast. But as soon as I was done, I wanted everyone else to be done. And I was throwing stuff at people and trying to move on. So almost every day in high school, algebra one, geometry, algebra two, I get kicked out of class and be like, just go sit in the hallway, right? You're not in trouble. You're done. But just like get out of the class. My dad was the assistant principal at my high school. So I know if I sat in the hallway every day, I'd get in trouble. So I just went to the gym and played basketball instead. One of my coaches was a gym teacher, and he just knew sixth hour, I'd get kicked out of math halfway through, and I'd come down and play basketball. So when I think about math, I think about the mad minute and playing basketball in high school. But today we have to do a little math. We have to do some spiritual math. Now, if you hate math, it's very elementary. It's very easy. If you like math, maybe you'll remember this. But here's the spiritual math of Colossians chapter 3. If we want to live on earth... Like we'll live in heaven, we have to subtract some things, we have to add some things. If we want to live on earth, like one day we're going to live in heaven, Paul said you got to subtract some things and you got to add some things. So tonight we're going to try to learn what to take off, we're going to try to learn what to put on, so that this week our life can look like on earth what it might look like in heaven. Let's start with number one, learning what to take off. You need to understand living on earth like you live in heaven is more than carrying around a little cartoon of Jesus, right? Like this is a good start. If you're not aware he's with you, knowing that Jesus is with you is good. But Paul said, that's not all you have to do. Look at verses five through nine of Colossians three. Get your pen out. I want you to underline and circle a few things. Paul says in Colossians three, five, put to death, circle those three words, put to death, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, underline those two words, earthly nature. It is the key to this whole text. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which are idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself. Circle those two words, rid yourselves, of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off. Circle the words taken off your old self with its practices. The key to this whole text is the two words, earthly nature. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So what is, what is your earthly nature? Biblically speaking, here's what your earthly nature is. It's a description of your spiritually broken and sinful nature before you became a follower of Jesus. In our previous series, The Lamb, we talked about Romans 5. We talked about this concept of original sin. To give you the cliff notes, it's basically this. The original sin, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, has impacted you because Adam and Eve passed along a spiritual DNA that was broken. 
And it made people want to run from God instead of to God. It's a theology called original sin. We're all born broken with the sin of Adam and Eve wanting to run away from God rather than to God. Your earthly nature is what you are in that state. A better way to say it would be this. Your earthly nature is you without Jesus. It's me without Jesus. Like the earthly nature, if you took all the things that are good in me because of Jesus, what would be left would be the earthly nature. The earthly nature is me without Jesus, without anything I know of being good or being great or being spiritual. If you took all those things away, me without Jesus is my earthly nature. And Paul, in probably one of the most famous Bible texts that shows us the difference between earthly nature and spiritual nature, Galatians 5, 16 and 17, it's not on your notes, but you might just jot down that reference. It'll be on the screen. Paul says there's a big difference between you with Jesus and you without Jesus. He says it this way in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. He says, so I say, walk by the spirit that's you with Jesus and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That's you without Jesus or your earthly nature for the flesh. You without Jesus desires what's contrary to the spirit. You with Jesus and the spirit you with Jesus desires what's contrary to the flesh. You without Jesus, they're in conflict with each other. So you don't do what you want. Paul said, listen, before you became to Jesus, you were one person. But now that you have Jesus, you are supposed to be somebody totally different. You can't come to Jesus and still live like you don't have Jesus. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity is not Sunday, just go to church. Christianity is not someday, one day you're going to go to heaven. Christianity is not simply, when you look at it, Christianity is not simply adding Jesus to your earthly nature. Let me show you what that looks like. When Paul talks about our sinful nature, our earthly nature, we know Paul's saying you're born with this. This is something you wear. If you can take it off, Paul says you have it on. Paul said you without Jesus looks like this. This is, step forward, there we go. I got a haircut today. It's not bad. I'm glad I'm not bald there yet. Paul says, this is, this is you without Jesus. This is what you're going to end up like without Jesus. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Paul said, those are all things that you do without Jesus. That's, that's the world without Jesus. Some people say, no, that's, that's not me. Well, maybe your jacket would say something like self-righteous or prideful or dishonest. If you're saying, me without Jesus looks pretty good, you don't know what you with Jesus looks like. And Paul says Christianity is not simply adding Jesus to your sinful nature. Oh, I heard about Jesus. So I'm just going to add Jesus over top of my earthly nature. I look a little cleaner now. I look a little clearer now. I now have Jesus. Everything is good. But have you done away with your earthly nature yet? Yes or no, if this is the model. No, it's still there. That's covered up. You don't see it as much, but it hasn't gone away. It hasn't been dealt with. It hasn't been put to death. It hasn't gotten rid of. It hasn't been taken off. Paul said Christianity is not just like adding Jesus to the mess of your life without changing the mess of your life. A lot of people want spiritual blessings. A lot of people want heaven. A lot of people want God to just come in on their terms and just be added to their life. Paul said, that's not how Christianity works. Christianity is not just adding Jesus to your earthly nature, but it's more than that. 
Paul said Christianity is also not just what I would call a Mr. Rogers kind of temporary wardrobe exchange. Remember Mr. Rogers? He clearly didn't live in Kansas City because it was always a beautiful day in his neighborhood. And it is not a beautiful day in our neighborhood like any Sunday. So I don't know where he lived, but it wasn't here. But remember him, he, he used to change clothes when he came in. He'd come into the room, he'd take off his jacket, he'd put on his sweater, he'd take off his shoes, he'd put on his slippers. And a lot of Christians have a Mr. Rogers type of wardrobe change. They think it's Sunday, I gotta go to church. I can't wear this to church. No one wears this kind of attitude to church. So on Sundays, gotta take that off because Sunday's Jesus day, right? And on Sunday, when I go to church, gotta have a wardrobe change. So I gotta worship and really sing praises to Jesus. And I got to serve at the front door. I'm a, I'm a greeter. And when I go to small group, I open my, my Bible and I talk about Jesus. And when I go on a mission trip, like I got to wear the Jesus coat. Like you don't wear the other coat on a mission trip or when you're at youth camp. So, you know, when I do spiritual things, I, I put on my Jesus coat. But I'm telling you, man, we got some people who change faster than Clark Kent. When church is over, it's like before I'm out of the parking lot, depending on who texted me or who called me, before I get to 150 Highway, boy, Jesus is back on the coat rack. See you again next Sunday. See you again at Christmas. See you again at Easter, depending on how often you change. And the work week is here, and here I am again. Paul says, that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity, just changing when you go to church. Like, that's not, that's not it. It's not just Sunday. It's not just someday. It's not just adding Jesus to your life. It's not just changing every now and then. Paul said, no, Christianity is this continual taking off of your earthly nature. The only way I can describe what Paul's trying to reference here in the Greek language is like it's a spider web that you've walked through, right? Have you ever walked through a spider web that you're convinced 72 days later is still on you when the wind blows? You know, you can just like, you just, once you walk through a spider web, it never leaves you, right? You walk through a spider web in like forever, the next 30 minutes, it's like, is it still on me? Is there a spider on my back? I love walking through spider webs with Danielle because from then till Halloween, she's convinced there's a spider on her. You just can't get it off. And Paul said, that's what I'm talking about. Paul says, put to death in verse 5, this, the earthly nature. Paul says, rid yourself of, in verse 8, the earthly nature. Paul says, take off the earthly nature. And Paul says, get rid of it, throw it away, and be so concerned that it's gone that you feel it even when it's not there because you're so, you want to make sure it's not on you anymore. Paul says, you have to put to death the earthly nature. There are a lot of Christians who have never heard this depth of Christianity. They just thought you added Jesus. They just thought you put on Jesus for church stuff. They never realized you had to take one off in order to live in the other one. And they're saying, okay, how do I do that? Sounds great. How do I do that? Let me give you some practical ways that the Bible tells us to deal with the earthly nature. I call them the four A's because they can all start with an A. Scripture says first you have to acknowledge it. In Psalm 51.3, David said, my sin is always before me. David said, I can't look at myself without realizing that me without Jesus is deeply sinful. So we have to acknowledge we've got this earthly nature that we wish we could take off once for all, but Paul says you have to keep taking it off. So we have to acknowledge, listen, me without Jesus is not really a pretty sight. And every now and then I become that guy again. I become that girl again. 
So I have to acknowledge it. Second step is then admitting it to somebody close to you. I probably wouldn't admit it on Facebook. I probably wouldn't tell my whole small group. But if I had a close Christian friend, and I've done this in the past, I'd probably pull them aside and say, listen, there's something in my life I'm dealing with. I'm finding it hard to get it off my back. Like I keep taking it off, but it keeps jumping back on. Could you help me? James 5.16 says, if you confess your sins to one another and pray for each other, you'll be healed. So you can tell somebody, man, there's this thing that just was deep in my DNA, but I don't want it anymore. I keep taking it off, but it keeps ending up back on. Will you help me? Number three, you then address what needs to change. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, when you become a Christian, the old things in your life go away and new things come. So you need to ask, how, how does this thing go away? How do I take this area in my life that is my earthly nature? It's me without Jesus. I know Jesus would never talk to my wife that way. I know Jesus would never parent my kids that way. I know Jesus would never be that afraid to take a step of faith. I know Jesus would never be that petty or greedy about little things. So that's me. That's not him. So how do we address this? How can you help me make sure I remove this old part of my life and throw it in the trash can? And then finally, you ask for some accountability. You ask for accountability from a trusted friend or a family member. And you say, listen, will you, will you help me? Will you hold me accountable? Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, when it comes to spiritual things, you might fail if you try it all by yourself. But if you have one helper, you're going to be able to better defend yourself. And if you have two helpers, man, you won't quickly be broken spiritually. Like you have a real chance to really make some progress. So you say, listen, I want you to ask me every time you see me for the next six months, how are you doing as a father? I want you to ask me, are you looking at that stuff anymore? I want you to ask me, Are you giving in the offering? I want you to ask me, are you still struggling with your language? I want you to ask me, are you praying with your kids at night? I want you to hold me accountable to look more like Jesus. Because if we want to live on earth the way we live in heaven, this is the way we do it. We acknowledge there's some barriers. We admit it to someone. We figure out what needs to change, and then we ask them to help us. These are the practical steps for how to take off the earthly nature. But here's the deal. That's only one answer to today's question. Today's question, how do we live on earth like we one day want to live in heaven? Part of it is taking off the earthly nature, but that's only part of it. The second part is learning what to put on. Number one is learning what to take off. The second part is learning what to put on. So let's pick up halfway through verse 9, and let's learn what to put on. If you have your pen, grab it. I want you to circle some things. Paul says, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have Put on the new self, circle those five words, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there's no Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he's in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, circle those two words, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on, circle those two words, put on. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, the problem that I have found that a lot of Christians have with doing what Paul asks us to do in Colossians chapter 3 is many Christians struggle to live on earth as they live in heaven because they've only been given half the message of Christianity. They've only been told what not to do. They've only been told what to take off. They have been told half of the story of what it means to follow Jesus. And here's what you need to know. 
Christianity is more than not doing things. Like Jesus didn't come to earth for 33 years just to show us how not to live, to show us how not to talk, to show us how not to react. Jesus didn't come to just subtract things from life. Christianity is more than not doing things. But you may be like me, were raised in a church that talked more about what not to do than what to do. Right? I had a youth pastor when I was in middle school. He had a cute little saying that was cute enough for me to remember at 40, but it was all a don't. He said, listen, if you want to do well spiritually, don't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew, and don't date girls that do. If you, if you do that, you'll be perfect. It's like, what? Like, don't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew, and don't date girls who do. It's like, okay, that's a cute little saying, but dude, I grew up in the country. There's not a lot of people who don't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew. There's not even a lot of girls who don't do that. Like, like we grew up on farms, man. Like, you could kiss a girl from my hometown and pull back and think, now, Shichu and Levi Garrett are red, man. I mean, like, well, like, we, like I, grew up, I grew up in the country, right? Wintergreen was not a flavor of lifesaver where I am from. So, so it was hard. But we were told, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Like, okay, we get what not to do. But Christianity is more than not doing things. As a matter of fact, Christianity that's only defined by what you don't do is defined as legalism. Think about the word law. Think about rules. It's all about rules. And listen, legalism helps Christians take off the old self without ever helping them put on the new self. They only do half of what Jesus has asked them to do. Legalism helps Christians take off the old self, but without ever helping them put on the new self. And here is what I have learned in 20 years of ministry and in nearly 35 years of Christianity. There are a lot of people that I've met who no longer look like the world, but they also don't look like Jesus. It's possible to not look like the world and to not look like Jesus. It's possible to not do any of these things and not love people who are far from God. It's possible to not do this stuff and to not help people who are hurting. It's possible to not do this stuff and also not judge the whole world who does this stuff. Like Jesus did more than not these things. It's possible to not do these things and yet at the same time not love your neighbor. And that's not the full picture of Christianity. Like Christianity is not just not doing things. It's more than that. You say, but Christian, that's the way I'm, you're talking to me, man, because that's the way I was raised. What would you say to me? I would say this, great job spiritually, but you're only halfway there. Like, that's what I would say. Like a cross-country coach at the midpoint of the race, if you say, I was raised to not do these things, I don't do those things anymore, but I really don't do anything more than that, what would you say to me? I would say, good job, but keep running, you're only halfway there. The finish line is way over there, and it's all downhill. But if you don't do any of those things, and you also don't read your Bible, you don't do, you say, Christian, I, man, I haven't done any of these things in 2018. That's awesome. But I also haven't prayed on my knees yet this year in 2018. Okay, well, Jesus didn't do these, and he did do that. So Christian, I haven't done any of these things in 2018. But I've also not reached out to my kids who are living in sin to let them know, listen, I love you. Even if you never follow Jesus the way I do, I want you to know I love you. Okay, you need to not do this and do the other thing. So Christian, I haven't done any of these things this year. 
but I never read my Bible and really spend time with God. Okay, you need to not do this and do the other thing. See, Paul says, take this off. And then Paul says, put this on. Only then is the transition really complete. You see, Christianity is continually pursuing the spiritual nature through five things that we read in Colossians 3, verses 9 through 14. You say, what are those five things? Here they are. Number one, grow in your knowledge of who Jesus is. Grow in your knowledge of who Jesus is. Paul said, you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is. That's why it's so important to be in church. Christianity is more than church, but it's important to be in church. And when you're not in church, to stream church like some are tonight because they can't be here. So they're watching church. And if you can't stream it live, to listen to it during the week on the way to work or sitting at work one day. Why? Because when you grow in your knowledge of Jesus, you grow spiritually. It's why it's important to listen to the podcast. It's why it's important to go to small groups and talk about Jesus. It's why it's important to read your Bible and memorize scripture. Why? Because if you want to pursue Jesus, you have to grow in the knowledge of who he is. That will allow you, number two, to grow in your likeness to who Jesus is. You see, when we finally know enough of who Jesus is, we might actually start to look like him every now and then. And guess what? As Christians, we get a chance to wear the same jersey that Jesus did. As Christians, the back of our jersey says the same things that it says Jesus. And you know what? Every now and then, people should mistake you for him. When you grow in your likeness to Jesus, you ought to be walking away when someone's like, hey, is that Jesus? And you turn around and it's like, no, that's not him. But, but man, you look like him. Like when you were nice to me today, when no one else was nice to me, man, you look like Jesus would have looked. And when you didn't respond to that negative thing by yelling at me and tearing me down, but you were gracious, man, that looked like I thought you were Jesus for a minute. And when your teenage kids really mess up, but you love them and you're gracious and you share about your failures and how you learn from that. Your teenage kids look at you and they're like, man, you don't look like my mom and dad anymore. Like, like, I feel like that's how Jesus would parent me. When the people at your job who mess up, have you call them in and you say, listen, you've not been doing great lately, but that's not like you. So I'm guessing it's something in your life. How are things at home? How are your kids? How are your wife? And you stop and pray with someone. Like, man, that didn't look like my butt. Like, was that Jesus that I just talked to or was that my boss? See, when we begin to grow in our likeness to Jesus, there should be Jesus sightings all over our community. People say, hey, was that Jesus? And no, but man, it really looked like him. Like for a minute, I thought maybe it was him because it really looked like him. What else happens when we begin to look like Jesus? Number three, we begin to grow in our relationships with people who need Jesus. This weird little verse that none of you have understood until now. Here there's no Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all. And is then all. You say, what does that mean? Paul says when it gets right down to it, there's only two types of people. Those who have Jesus and those who don't. And you begin to look less like people who don't have Jesus. But you begin to love them a whole lot more. And you spend more time with them. And you don't run from people who don't have Jesus. You run to people who don't have Jesus. And you try to love them like Jesus would love them. You also, number four, grow in your relationships with people who have Jesus. That's why it's so important to be in a small group, to be in a men's group, to be in a women's group. If you're a teenager, it's why it's so important to come to youth group on Wednesday night, to go to youth camp with us, to go on our missions trips with us, 
That's why it's so important to be in a serve group. All of us need a little time weekly with other people who love Jesus just to kind of mutually encourage us in our faith a little bit because it will help us do number five. It'll help us learn how to be patient with people. It'll help us learn how to forgive people and how to love people just like Jesus does. I mean, isn't that what we want from others? We want people to be patient with us and to forgive us and to love us the same way that Jesus would. And as we begin to grow in our knowledge of Jesus and grow in our likeness to Jesus and be with people who don't know him and spend time with people who do know him, all of a sudden we begin to look like him. And, all, and our patience changes and our forgiveness changes and our love changes. In two weeks, we'll start a new series at our church called My Dysfunctional Family. And the whole purpose of this series, don't laugh too loud, they might hear you. The whole purpose of this series is to learn how to love difficult people. Because whether they live in your house or whether you're only with them at the holidays or whether they're in your work family or whether they're on your team family and they coach your kids or whether they're in your neighborhood family and your kids ride the bus together, we all know people who are difficult to love. But if we can learn to love like Jesus, you know how I know Jesus loves difficult people? Because he loves me, right? You know how I know Jesus loves difficult people? Because he loves you. And if we learn to love like Jesus, we'll learn how to love difficult people. You say, how do we do that? Verse 10, put on the new self. Verse 12, we clothe ourselves. Verse 14, we put on what? Jesus, the attributes of Jesus. Three times Paul says, take off. Three times Paul says, put on. We're moving in this series from flat Jesus, know that he's always with you, to jacket Jesus. Try to look like him. But we want to go even further. And what I've learned is that spiritual transformation is a process. What I want to ask you tonight is where are you in that process? Spiritual transformation is a process. At what point in the process are you? There's really three levels of spiritual transformation. The first is information. Most people enter Christianity and live for a while at the information stage. It's where information makes sense in my head and you say, I want to learn more. Everything you said, that's really interesting. It's intriguing. I want to learn more. Teach me more. Information impacts my brain. But then there's a level beneath that called inspiration. It's just a little deeper spiritually. Inspiration says that makes sense to my heart. I want to do more. Like now you're not speaking to my head. I'm not just intrigued anymore. Now I'm moved. Now I want to do more. I, it was interesting learning about the coats, but now I'm inspired. Now I actually, I, I, I want to change coats. I'm inspired to do something. Information impacts my brain. Inspiration impacts my heart. But then there's a third layer, and it's incarnation. This is the highest level of transformation. It's the theological word we use for when Jesus went from becoming God to being a man. His nature changed. Incarnation, when you hear it, sounds like that. this. That makes sense in my soul. I want to become more. That makes so much sense in my soul that I want to become that. You see, information changes my brain. Inspiration changes my heart. Incarnation changes my DNA. I literally become a different person. And the more I look in the mirror, the less I begin to see me, earthly nature, and the more I begin to see glimpses of Jesus. 
It's, it's when your wife comes to you with some bad news and she gives it to you and you react differently. And she says, you know what? Three years ago, if I would have told you that, you would have reacted totally different. Now something has changed. Incarnation. It's when you lose a job that if you would have lost a decade ago, you would have lost all hope and totally freaked out. And now you think, all right, God, I'm not sure what's happening, but I trust you. And people around you start saying, man, something's different. You are a different person than you used to be. Incarnation. Literally, your DNA is changing. You say, well, what what am I changing into? Jesus. You're becoming more like Jesus. Information impacts my brain. Eventually, it gets to your heart. And maybe one day, it'll get to your blood. And Paul says, when Christ appears, you'll appear right there with him. And guess what? You'll look like him. Your nature will be very much like his. You say, that's what I want. I want to live on earth just like I live in heaven. Paul says, it's possible. Learn what to take off. Learn what to put on. So let me give you a challenge. It's impossible to take the whole coat off and put the whole coat on at one time. But I believe we can all do a little bit. I believe we can start small, but we should start now. So let me give you a heaven on earth challenge. Here it is this week. Number one, I want to challenge you to take off one thing in your earthly nature this week and rid yourself of it going forward. I want you to look at one thing in your nature that clearly is you without Jesus. And I want you to say, okay, I'm gonna gonna take that one off. You say, how do I know what that is? Just ask your spouse. They will freely tell you. If you you allow them to speak into, hey, what in me do you think Jesus doesn't like? They'll probably make a list for you. Just choose one thing on the list. You say, I don't have a spouse. how, How should I know? Ask this question. What am I planning to do this week that I wouldn't do in heaven? That's the thing. What TV show am I going to watch this week that I wouldn't watch in heaven? Don't watch that one this week. What things on the radio would I listen to this week that I wouldn't listen to in heaven? Don't listen to those. What things would I say at work this week that I probably wouldn't say in heaven? Don't say those things. Uh, What conversations would I have in heaven with people who maybe have hurt me that I'm not planning to have this week? Go have those. So just think of yourself in heaven and try to act that way on earth. That's that line in the Lord's Prayer and what it means. So how do I do that? Use the four A's. Acknowledge, admit, assess it, get some accountability. And then number two, put on one thing from your spiritual nature this week and clothe yourself with it every day. You say, what are are those things? They're listed in verses 9 through 14. They're just characteristics of Jesus. Anything you think Jesus would do, do that. Just choose one. But if you don't know what those are, you can look at verse 12. You say, how do I clothe myself with Jesus? Put on compassion or kindness or humility or gentleness or patience or forgiveness or love. Just choose one. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Choose one, write it down. Write it down on a three by five index card or a scrap of paper. Tape it to your mirror in your bathroom so you see it every morning. Make another card, put it in your car so you see it on the way to work or in your truck every day. Make it the lock screen on your phone, just kind of that word spelled out. So every morning you get up, every day you go to work thinking, many times throughout the day you're reminded, put on compassion. I may fail in every area this week, but people are going to say, man, he's the most compassionate guy I've ever met in my life. Just put on kindness. You may stink at everything else this week, but people say, he's, that's the most kind he's ever been to me ever. Put on gentleness every day. Just, I'm going to be gentle. I can't be everything, but I'm going to be gentle today. Some of your pets will thank you if you just put on gentleness, right? Like just begin to change your nature because here's what happens. First, you wear it on your back and then it kind of sinks into your heart and then you do it by nature. You become 
compassionate. You become forgiving. You become loving. You become gentle. You become kind. You don't even have to try anymore. You just are because the DNA of your spirit is beginning to change. Take off one thing, keep it off. Put on one thing, keep it on. Because if we can do that, maybe we can live life more this week on earth like we live like we live in heaven than we did last week. And if every Christian would do that just a little more every week, our city would be a better place to live in. All of us can only be responsible for one of us, us. But if everyone will try a little bit, man, what could God do in our homes, in our hearts, in our community, and in our city? Would you pray with me?